Look at him, my pet fire serpent. Oh. Hey, hey, that fire serpent is destroying our fishing village. It's the third time this month. Nonsense. The Guardians of Galan. We'll, we'll feed it some ambrosia, maybe. Can't, why can't you be some something closer to the merchants of Merloom? They, they're able to keep those titans under lock and key. Oh, here he goes again. You keep those fire serpents away from my pretty banners. Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Greg B, joined today by Jacob. Hello. By Leslie. Hello. And by Hunter. Hey. And today we are going to be talking about Ancient World, the newest one from Red Raven Games. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing. So I know there's lots of stuff that people have been playing. Who wants to go first? I'll jump in. I got to play a game called Planet this past weekend. And it's really interesting. It's it's a pretty light game, but it's got the really fun gimmick of you have these 3D dodecahedrons that are magnetic on each side that you are putting these five-sided pieces on each one and pretty much creating a world and trying to populate that with a diverse population of animals. And it's got some really interesting mechanics. I think the, the biggest thing is, well, it's got like the 3D, three-dimensional aspect of it mm-hmm. that as you're playing, it's like a lot of it has to do with adjacency of like where is this ocean terrain adjacent to, for example, this desert or which one is not adjacent to the desert. And you need to get those in the right way in order to be able to get the animals. So you have an overall goal for the game, which is a card that you get that has a, you know, you're, you're going for an ice planet, so you want at least a certain number of uh, little triangles of ice. And that's your main goal, but then there's actually an anti-synergy with that with animals. So they want you to try to get animals that are of a different biome. Interesting. What, so, and like what mechanic enforces that anti-synergy? So the way that that works is that at the end of the game, every animal that is of the biome of your planet that you're aiming for is worth one point. Every animal that is of a biome that is not yours is worth two points. Hmm. Interesting. It's really interesting to try to do that. And then like, especially when you have a more player game, we played it once with three players and once with four players. And in the four player game, we were having a lot of things going like when you tie for anything, it actually goes over to the next round. So you get one round where you place one of these tiles on. And then starting with the third round is when you compete for the animals. So if, uh, let's say, Hunter and I have the same five mountain pieces that were next to oceans, and both of us had that, it would then instead go to the next round, and we would compete for it again at the end of that round, so we have another round to almost try to beat the other person over it. Oh, interesting. Okay. It's very interesting in that way, and I think that it has a very compelling like spatial element, which definitely can be a bit complicated depending on who's playing, but I really enjoyed it. Oh, very cool. What about you guys? What do you got? We have played a couple more sessions of Betrayal Legacy since we were here last. I had a really awesome moment at the end of one of the games, and I will try to explain it without spoiling anything for anybody who's playing this game. But essentially, we had this weird scenario where everybody was the traitor, essentially, and we were running around trying to appease a maniacal crazy person. And my only way to win was to get from outside to upstairs. And I had like three movement, (laughs) (laughs) right? But I had a widget. And if I rolled the right number on the widget, I dropped the widget and I could go anywhere in the house I wanted. Nice. Nice. I think I see where this is going. And I rolled the dice and I failed. (laughs) (laughs) I did not see where that was going. And then I got a reroll 
and I made the exact role I needed. And the funny part was everybody was like, what is she doing? She just went in the opposite direction because I had to be on a place with more ghosts. Oh. So I went next door to where I was, to where I had three ghosts, so I'd have three dice to roll because uh, I knew I needed at least that much to get what I needed. So I rolled the dice. I fail. Then somebody pointed out that I could re-roll with a widget we have in the game. Yep. And Lots uh, of widgets. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm trying Witches not to doohickeys. spoil anything. Gizmos. Yep. Um, I put a sticker on a thing, yep. and I got a re-roll, and Jacob knows what I'm talking yep. about. And I re-rolled, and I, and I got upstairs, <laughs> and I still had enough movement to get to the thing I needed to get to. And then because in the particular scenario we were in at the beginning of your turn, you took two damage. Oof. So, oh, yeah. And it was me and one other person left in the game. So when I managed to survive my turn, she started her turn and took two damage, and I won the game. Well, there you go. Nice. Which then resulted in me being the traitor the next game, which was not as fun. <laughs> <laughs> You're just desserts. She yes. also didn't point out that none of us until she actually made the la- like successful role, had any idea what she was they doing. They were like, why is she going in the opposite direction? But right <laughs> as she rolled the successful number, I realized what she had and what she could do. And I was like, oh. She yeah. goes, oh, I know what she's doing. And everybody's like, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> that felt pretty good. It sounds like fun. Less good to be the traitor. Literally the next game. It was like, you won the last game. You're now the traitor. Thanks, guys. I think we're merging in spoiler territory now. Yeah, that's fair. Um, (laughs) I was at least grateful that Hunter was not the traitor again because he had been the traitor like four times. And so you saved him. I did. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. I've been playing mostly more Shadows of Brimstone and Legacy games. And then afterward, Keyforge, which my friends and I have played a decent amount. We like to buy things sometimes. So having uh, the ability to buy some new decks and throw down and see some ridiculousness is always fun and mm-hmm. with keyforge having the random decks with random avatar names is always a little bit you know fun to yeah. get that thrill when you first open it and yeah. to talk trash when your guy with a stupid name wins a match um, <laughs> and i you know we've i think played enough different decks and enough different games now that we can spot like if a deck's going to be really terrible or like have a chance and one of the decks that uh, my friend got for me had a couple of cards in it that I had not gotten to play with, but I'd seen played that synergized really well with other creatures mm. that I had in there as well. So oh, nice. I know that Greg plays some Key Forge. I don't know. Have you ever seen the Ether Spider? That yes. Captures that's... Ether whenever the other person would get it. And yes. You just get it. Yeah, I had that in my. No, I played against an opponent that had that deck in the tournament I went to at Labyrinth. Yeah, so I, I had that plus a, multiple cards that healed my guys and also multiple taunt characters. So if you put a taunt character next to another character, they have to attack the taunt character. Oh, so basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. he killed the guy that had taunt next to it, and on my next turn, I dropped a guy with taunt next to it. And right. at one point, my spider had about 14 ember on it. So you were basically playing a lockdown deck. Yeah. It was it was a lot of fun. So it, that game continues to be enjoyable for me, even when it's just very casual play, mm-hmm. uh, just to see the way that different things interact with each other. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to play actually since the tournament that I mentioned. So I don't know. Maybe we can uh, maybe Throw we can down. play sometime. Well, we did just get you decks for your birthday. You did. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. I got one. Something about the. Lord of the Pretend Pond. I don't know. <laughs> and it was like it was green and kind of frog-like. 
So, you know, very thematic. I'll probably play that one first. Seems legit. Yeah. I also wanted to talk about our game room reorg. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were saying. Oh, did you like. Yeah. Oh, he pulled out all of the games. I have pictures. Yes. I pull out every single game that was on our. We have the Calax shelves. We have a game room and one whole wall is just covered in Calax shelves. And there's also a cubby that's filled. And we're coming up on Origins and I am doing the math trade again. And I wanted to get together all the things that uh, I wanted to potentially trade. And that also, as time goes on and you. pull games out to take people's houses and things like yeah. that things just don't get put back the way they were so yeah. mm-hmm. and also i've multiple times now gotten through and reorged this thing and yeah. every time the system i'm using changes so okay, yeah. once i tried doing it alphabetical and that was a total disaster <laughs> <laughs> then i tried doing it by like type of game like mm. worker placement blah blah blah. but then you have all these mixes of mechanics yeah, yeah. so this time i settled on all the Ryan Lockett games together because they of look course. good together. Yeah. Yep. Appropriate um, for this review. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I have all of the boxes that are of like a similar shape and somewhat similar type because mm. then they just fit together in the space really well. Yeah. And then I have uh, a section for like casual and games that are better for people that maybe don't play a lot of games. Yeah. So if I have those people over, I can be like, look at these two shelves and see mm-hmm. what you like. The two shelves of games Leslie won't play. Oh, <laughs> there's a few in there they'll play. Oh, okay. And then there's a section that's like games that are like five to eight or nine players that are not just party games. Yeah. So that was a challenge, but I actually have a pretty decent set of games in there. Well, so. it's, a very, it's a very practical organization system. Like it's not, you know, arbitrary. It's, you know, how am I going to use these games? And there's well, a whole- And Ryan Locke. And there's a whole cube open for Origins. Oh, yep. nice. Which we'll see you at Origins. And right a spot there. for century for the next century game because uh, those boxes are a weird shape and nothing else fits with them. Uh, Fair enough. Fascinating. I would not have known. <laughs> yeah. I think I tried to organize my shelf once. <laughs> tried? Oh, oh, which shelf? Um, my entire Calyx collection. Like when we first moved in and I like, actually like, went through and organized stuff. I organize mine more by topic. Like, you know, it's like, here are all the space games. Here are all these games. Here are all these games. I did have a shelf for Ryan Lockett games, but it did not stay that way. Yeah. It is completely... It's chaos. Chaos now. Utter chaos. It's all right. You know, I still have most of my training games in the same place, but that's mostly because I haven't touched them very much. (laughs) We're like examining Jacob's games all over the room right now. (laughs) Yeah. They're they're everywhere. everywhere. They're on the coffee table. They're on a shelf that has been moved to be like in front of the kitchen. (laughs) It's a mess. Jacob, I apologize for putting you on blast, but like. (laughs) Don't worry. It's true. It's a lot. Um, I also used to organize by theme a little bit too. And I realized that when I want to play a game, I'm never really like, I want to play a medieval game. I just go, I want to play. I have this many players. I want to play this type of game. So I just tried to kind of organize it a little more that way. Just, you know, and who knows? We'll see how that works out. I think the only type of game mechanic that I have separated to its own group would be living card games Mm -hmm. and deck building games. Because usually I'm like, I want to play a deck building game. Mm -hmm. Now I just pick which one. Yeah. Yeah, Fair enough. I will say that the hardest part is Hunter is a throw out the boxes get rid of all the boxes and i'm like but they got the boxes and they're precious and you can't get rid of them <laughs> there's a there, there's I can't, a tension there well there's a comic i can't remember the name of the comic but there's a uh, like a web comic where um he's like yeah we just threw away all the boxes and then the girl like opens up the closet and it's full of empty game boxes 
that would be me if I could get to the boxes fast enough <laughs> and had a place to put them. So. Uh, that's my room. <laughs> in fact i just took it a step further and threw away all of the expansion boxes i had for lord of the rings living card game which was my baby for a while and i oh, wow. had like two cubbies and two drawers completely filled with boxes that were like all the because like each box has a quest yeah. so I, I was like oh well, the best way to organize this is to keep the boxes and have each quest in a box makes yeah. sense and then it was just like overkill too much stuff. Fair enough. Well, but there you go. That's, uh, I mean, that's what we've been playing and what we've been doing in the board game space. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, now let's dive into our review of Ancient World by Ryan Lockett. So this is a game for two to four players, and it's pretty much a worker placement game in which you are building your little like civilization thing and defending it from the Titans. So the way that it's played is over six rounds and each round you start with a few different actions that you can do. The first of which is placing your worker. And this is a lot of what you're going to be working with. And this is what allows you to gain a lot of resources, build more buildings, things of that nature. So the actions that you can do with your worker at the start of the game are to build a building, gain a district, which allow you to expand how much space you have to build buildings pretty much. Mm-hmm gain knowledge so pay money to go to study some stuff uh labor <laughs> uh, so you gain uh, gain money draft which is pretty much you uh take that worker and put him in the army and get you get a sword exactly <laughs> and then recruit so you recruit more armies later on in the game you also get access to two other actions one of which is explore which allows you to look through the deck to like put one of the cards in like your held cards place and at that point you can build them from there as another action the last action that you can do that's unlocked on the third round of the game is to grow which is pretty much to gain another worker and yeah that's pretty much what you can do with your workers throughout the game a lot of the stuff that you're doing there is both building up the resources and your infrastructure almost for things like attacking the titans not All attack right. on Titan. So to talk about attacking, because that seems to be the thing that I always like to do. Uh, attacking this is not against other players, but against the Titans. And in fact, you can attack Titans that are in other players' realms, which actually benefits uh, them with that guy going away and also can benefit you from getting the banners. Uh, but the attacking in this game works by paying the armies that you have and the money goes up as you've paid them previously. It goes up even more. And you need to simply match the value of the Titan you want to defeat. And then the last cost is just to roll the dice that, uh, based on the number of banners and take damage to your buildings or possibly additional penalty from that uh, Titan, depending on which one it is. I think that's interesting yeah. personally because you always defeat the Titan. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of what the cost is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And off to banners. Yeah, so banners are basically how you get the bulk of your points at the end of the game. So there are five different colored banners in the game. And if you have one of that particular color banner, it was worth two points and two is worth four. And it goes up from there up to possible 22 points if you have six or more banners in any given color. So that is where 
basically the bulk of your endgame scoring comes from. On top of that, there are some cards, some buildings that give you additional endgame scoring components. For example, two victory points per three banner titan that you destroyed or something like that. The other cool thing is the third level buildings or the C group of buildings, if you're familiar with other Ryan Lockett games, are in a separate pile. And those are more buildings that have additional endgame scoring points on them for the most part. And I like that they're separate in an additional pile so you don't have to wait for them to come up. You don't have to hunt for them. They're just there and they can be purchased at any time. Yep. And so building buildings, defeating titans, that's predominantly how you're going to gain banners, gain your points, do all those sorts of things. Uh, There's a couple of other mechanics involved that sort of flesh out the game. One of those sort of the most important and versatile of those is Ambrosia. So each round, you're going to have players who are placing their workers on various action spaces on the board. And in order to incentivize you to mix it up, at the end of each round, you're going to place Ambrosia on relatively unused spaces on the board. And Ambrosia can be used for so many different things. If you don't want to fight what's called the threatening titan, the titan that's personally attacking your town, you can actually just pay it Ambrosia to not attack you at the end of the round. You can use it to reassign workers that you've already placed for the round. You can use it to uh, feed workers that would otherwise starve and be unavailable. So Ambrosia is a very, very useful, very powerful uh, mechanic, but it does tend to be much more limited than resources like knowledge or uh, coins. And then the other things are just sort of the in-between round minutiae, you know, so these are going to be your end of round income. You're going to generate not just coins, but you're going to generate sometimes knowledge, sometimes ambrosia. All of that's based on your combined holdings. So sometimes your districts will give you stuff. Sometimes your defeated titans will give you income. Most of it's going to come from your buildings and empire cards, but it really comes from all over the place. Reset the available cards, give everybody new threatening titans, move on to the next round, rinse, repeat. Yeah, some of the other interesting things that come out of this are, for example, when you're not able to feed a worker, they become starving. And then for that entire next round, you are not able to use them. So it's that kind of thing where you have to be very careful because like threatening Titan will always attack you unless you either have defeated it or have bribed it with Ambrosia. And if you take that damage, it can a lot of times actually cause you to, you know, lose that worker for the next round and not be able to pay for them because you don't have enough food. And a lot of these mechanics like work together and can help. Like you can almost, there are cards that let you uh, rebuild a building before the income step and that kind of stuff, which can really almost help you with keeping yourself from these detriments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they really like salve over a lot of pain points. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that there's no penalty for the people being starving in the middle of the game. And (laughs) yeah, there's a a reason he's saying something very authoritarian there. Yeah. Well, in a lot of games, I feel like when you have to feed your people, unless Mm -hmm. you get a boatload of negative points, you're kind of forced into doing it. If I like in this game, you're not forced to do it. You just lose actions, but you don't lose points. Yeah. So if you think you can get by without them, you can just let them go. Right. And the fact that the, placement of citizens on the board to perform those actions is completely divorced from doing stuff with your armies like yeah placing citizens will allow you to get extra swords or allow you to recruit and sort of turn over your armies to make them less expensive but you don't have to have any citizens to make attacks yeah and in general all the points are really scored at the end of the game you don't 
actually score anything during the game. And so that is really good to like, you know, actually concentrate on getting what you need to score at the end of the game rather than actually like worrying about like, you know, oh, this is a scoring round, this is not a scoring round, etc. Yeah. It creates a lot of very viable strategies, which is exactly what we experienced in the game we played. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> some strategies were more viable than well, others. Do we, we want to talk about those the two different extremes? Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Well, I focused on banners, which is why I got to talk about banners. It's funny because the first game we played at home, just the two of us, we misread the rule about how you got points. We thought it was sets of banners because in the book, there is a clear picture of each of the five banners. And we interpreted that as you had to have one of each for a set. And so we kind of misread that. We scored it correctly at the end. But if you pull out the scoring pad, it indicates that you should count up the individual colors of how many red and how many purple and so on. So we played a game just before we recorded it. And I invested heavily in banners. I was I saw that I had three blue banners really early on, and I was like, great, let me get my other three blue banners, and then I checked for what I had the most of next, and then I tackled yellow. And then when I had all my yellow, I went for red. And I ended up having six or more banners in, in all three of those colors, which ultimately is it probably lended to a oh, yeah. winning score. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, that's 66 points right there. Yep. So... Yeah. More than I scored in my entire game. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, actually. (laughs) Meanwhile, I chose a very different strategy and was right hot on your tail at the end. I thought I had squeaked it out, but I had too many (gasps) negative points from all my starving people. (laughs) But I just focused completely on combat. I bought one building the entire game. I think I bought one district the entire game. And other than that, all I did was try to fuel my military. And I would say the detriment to that is I was sitting here doing nothing for half the game because I had about a third of the actions everyone else did after the first like two rounds of the six round game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which I think you pointed out, it's ironic that the most aggressive strategy is also the least time consuming. Yes, it did feel kind of weird that yeah, the most aggressive was like me sitting on my laurels for so long. Yeah. yeah you had some good attacks and then after that, we're just like, you know, building and building and building. And you're just like... <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. All right. I guess that's <laughs> what my people are hanging out in their the burnt field, out ruins. The, the burnt out fields where nothing else exists, you know, drinking beer. <laughs> well, not even. They don't even have that much food. <laughs> True. <laughs> but yeah, I do really appreciate that, you know, between those two extremes, you can kind of navigate your own strategy. And also the fact that it always comes back to banners, which are relatively equally accessible on Titans and on buildings. Right. So like uh, an economic strategy is just as viable, theoretically. As a military strategy. Except that you have to deal with your titans. Right. So I kind of incorporated them into what I was doing. I was like, okay. And, and you know, I lucked out. My first, like, three titans were all blue. Right. So that so, synergized with what it was that you wanted to do. Whereas if it had been, you know, oh, this is purple. I don't care about that. Right. Maybe you'd be more inclined to pay Ambrosia for it. Right. Which actually brings us to something that we hadn't mentioned previously, which is the variable player powers. So the the player boards have two sides. Each has just a completely generic side, and then on the back of that, you have different factions that have different special abilities. Your ability was the fact that, among other things, every time you got knowledge, you also got ambrosia. Right. Which gave you sort of this through line Mm -hmm. that I feel like helped you throughout the game. But, you know, Hunter's ability to start with a free arrow and sort of military capacity was also put to very good use. So... I think they did a good job balancing those. Yeah. It's just yeah. a matter of 
I mean, ultimately, and I started with a knowledge, which because of the luck of the draw was I was being the second person, I was able to purchase an army, a pretty powerful army on the first turn because I had the knowledge to do so Mm -hmm. without having to spend an action to get it, which was also helpful. Right. And we can't, we cannot play a Ryan Lockett game without gushing about the art for at least a minute. Yep. (laughs) Um, I have to appreciate that the workers are dual-sided. So you have the male on one side and the female on the other. So you Mm -hmm. can have whatever gendered race you'd like. You can kind of make up your own story and that's kind of, I really like that. And um, I really like reading all of the different names of all the different bad guys all the different <laughs> yeah, titans there are some really fun ones um all of those there's some there's some uh building cards that are particularly entertaining as well so i mean all of ryan lockett's games all of the red raven games have that but that is definitely ever present in this one yeah flavor sure. is really great that all being said no game is perfect so let's talk a little bit about some of the quibbles that we had with the game I think one of my quibbles is something that I bring up in a decent number of games. This one isn't too bad with it, but when games don't have a way of you either refreshing the available cards or getting different cards and what are what's out, that is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. And here it happens in the military cards. So depending on the number of players, that's how many military cards come out. So if you're playing a two-player game, you only have two out. If you're playing a four-player game, you only get four out. And those are the only ones that you have available. For buildings, and there, there's the exploration mechanic, which allows you to find other ones. But I think it's particularly egregious for the military because there's no A deck and B deck of the military. It's just everything is shuffled together. You can have the most powerful military units come out on the first turn, just like the one that Leslie bought, that are just really, really good. But you can also have, like, later on when you're looking for that additional boost of military power... When you're going to the three bannered titans, the most powerful ones cost like 12, 13 power to defeat. You can get yourself into a point where, well, everything here actually lowers my military strength rather than increases it. And there's no way to go looking further on if, you know, you slept on or like you you tried to do other things first before you went to military. There might not be any military cards left. So there's there's definitely like a little bit of an issue with that for me. So I have a couple, and they're kind <laughs> of related. So they kind of go together. So you're gaining titans, and you're gaining districts, and you're gaining buildings, and you're gaining military cards. And before you know it, you have quite a few cards in front of you. And you kind I mean, the board has little arrows and tells you how to organize them, but they start stacking up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it does take up a lot of space. And it can be really difficult to keep track of all of the stuff you have. Um, one of the main problems, because we played this last night also, and one of the main problems that I ran into then was I had this, I actually had played the same faction. So my faction got an Ambrosia every time I gained a knowledge. Early on in the game, I got a building that gave me a knowledge every turn. And then I had another building or district, I think it was, that gave me an Ambrosia every turn. And so I should have been getting a knowledge in two Ambrosia every turn, but I completely lost track of that. And and it probably would have changed how I played the game because I would have had a lot more Ambrosia. Um, And that was very kind of disconcerting. Also, with the banners, I know that they have different symbols on them, which is definitely helpful for individuals with colorblindness. 
but I'm not colorblind, but <laughs> I multiple times thought that the yellow banner was green. And we actually noticed as we were playing that some of the yellow banners are different colors. So yeah. I don't know if that is part of an issue with the first print of the printing of the game. And maybe part of it is because the yellow banner has a snake on it. And I think snakes should be green in my head. <laughs> but if you're not looking at the green and the yellow at the same time, it's easy to kind of mix them up. And I, I last night, granted, I was tired. I bought a card thinking it was going to add to my banner count. And it completely kind of was a waste it turned out to be but i made yeah. up for all of those things today <laughs> and maybe learned from my mistakes but i did definitely find them frustrating the first couple of times i played I, the game i've definitely seen the same thing like it has been a little bit annoying for me to like actually look at the like oh wait that's that's the snake it's like it, the the yellow that they chose looks green yeah in a lot of cards so it's a little bit of an annoying thing, and especially with them not actually even being uniform, because we would look at some cards where it's just like, oh yeah, that's definitely yellow, and like it's right next to the green, we can tell the difference very well, and then we look at like two other cards next to each other, and it's like those two look almost exactly the same. Right. Yeah. So we've got the good, we've got the bad, we've got the pretty in this game. <laughs> <laughs> what final final ratings? Uh, reminder: our rating scale. We go skip it, play it, buy it from worst to best. What uh, about burn it? At the extremes, we do have Burn It for games that uh, we feel should never have been printed, or Top Shelves, which Jacob just gave out a couple weeks ago, actually, for like best of the best. Absolutely. If you can only own one game, well, I mean, probably like three or four games, these should be them. So on that scale, where do we fall? Everybody, what do we think? All right. Well, I've kind of saved a little tidbit for the last part here, because I don't want to just say play it, which is my recommendation. But I was thinking while we're having this conversation, the one thing that this game is missing that every other Ryan Lockett game has had outside of his small box games. Lizard people. Well, there are no lizard people. Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely no game is perfect. That, There's no lizard people in this yeah. game. Angela would be very upset. But <laughs> the thing that it's missing is the story. Yeah. And although the, uh, the mechanics can be explained thematically, I think what makes this not a buy it for me, and I did buy it, mm -hmm. and I don't regret it, but I want that story. And like, there's so many games out there now. The one yeah. thing I'm missing is hearing that. I mean, you could tell some amazing stories about these ancient titans. Yeah. So that's what's missing to to raise it to a buy it for me. It's like really close, because I think for me as a te game teacher, this is very easy to teach compared to other games in a similar genre. I didn't even really think about that, but that's probably why I didn't immediately latch onto this game because theme is so important to me. Mm -hmm. I'm a play it, but I would say City of Iron is a superior game. And if you really love City of Iron, I would skip it and play City of Iron instead. Although if you're trying to get your new newer gamer friends up to City of Iron level of difficulty, Ancient World might be a good gateway. This is the gateway drug. Yeah. Gateway, the gateway to the city of iron. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, true. Uh, also, ancient world plays in about half the time the city of iron. Yes, mm. absolutely. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think well, uh, last time I played city of iron, it took me about three hours for four players. Yeah. I think it definitely is longer. I, I, I'm not sure if it's that much longer. And if you, if like, once we've played city of iron a couple of times, I think we can knock it out. Probably. We typically play a two-player, though, so yeah. I don't have a good comparison. The sure. one time we played it four-player, it was 
rocky at best. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Well, my rating is going to be also a play it. Um, I think the game is a lot of fun. I can't say that it hooked me like immediately that I'm going to be like, I want to play this again right now. Uh, it's a fun game. I like some of the mechanics. The army mechanic is really cool. The way that you score with all the banners is pretty interesting. And the fact that you have the C deck of all the end game scoring points um, that you can just take from throughout the entire game is also really really great and really well done. But I think that it's just it's a game that you should just go out and if you have a friend, if you have a game library close by that has it, play it there. Well, I'm going to round us out with a nice solid play it. Uh, so it's play it's all around. Yeah, I mean, I, it's a, it's hard to say things that haven't already been said. I think this is a perfectly solid game. I think it's got some really compelling sort of multi-strategy opportunities there. Art, as always, is gorgeous. I don't maybe feel the lack of story as keenly as some other people, but I do think that you could probably wiggle that in there, and that would probably make it a more compelling game. That said, I'm perfectly happy to play it again, and uh, I think it's a very a comfortable play it for me. All righty. And now let's talk about a few games that we think are similar to this. Uh, so if you like Ancient World, you would like these other games. So first off, uh, I think Hunter, you had one. Yeah, so it jumped out at me after I thought about it for a few minutes, the Manhattan Project. It's a worker placement game, but it's not just a shared spaces kind of gain resources worker placement game. It is very much getting buildings, getting these unique types of workers, putting them on them, and then building atomic bombs. Yeah. And then you can use them to attack your uh, enemies. So that one is, a, if you want a more confrontational version of this kind of game you mm -hmm. know, with combat, where the combat is actually player versus player. All right. I'm also going to say that for me, Treasure Mountain, the game by August Games, is very similar to this. You have... Uh, similar mechanics with the, the dwarves and the workers pretty much having uh, different levels. So, you know, uh, in Ancient World, they're one, two, three, four, and five. And uh, if you play a lower level worker on a space that has a higher level worker of someone else's or yours, you have to pay an additional coin. So it has that mechanic. Treasure Mountain has a similar bumping mechanic where a higher level worker can bump a lower level worker, but a lower level worker can't bump, you know, someone higher than them. It also has that kind of like common attack of like, you know, the dragons are coming. And so you have to like, you know, be careful or even like try to trigger the dragons and see like who would be able to like fight them off the most, et cetera, et cetera. Plus you, you're still building like in front of you, like your minds. So like you're trying to get all, all of your minds out and uh, collect from them without like getting them too buried almost. So it feels very similar there. And uh, I definitely think it's a good game to check out. And it kind of goes without saying, but City of Iron is a very similar game. Like I said, uh, I think, I mean, it's by the same designer. So you're playing different characters and the, the card mechanisms are the same where you're buying buildings and fighting things in order to get in-game victory points. We did a whole review on City of Iron. So we did. Did you I, check it out? It was my first review. So you should go check it out. <laughs> Definitely. It's so similar that it's hard for me to even compare the two because mm. I just feel I just feel like City of Iron is a better game at the end of the day. <laughs> this isn't a bad game. City of Iron is just better. Fair enough. There you go. That's the that's that on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that concludes our Dragon's Demise review of Ancient World. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope that you enjoyed it.
we're going to be at Origins this year. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm uh, so excited. We can't wait. We did it last year. It was a, a great time. We can't wait to come back. So definitely uh, keep an eye out on you know our social media and all that. Follow that if you haven't. And we'll be posting about like, you know where, where we are, what we're doing, etc. As well as doing some vlogs and other cool content from Origins. As always, thank you to our patrons on Patreon. You guys help keep the podcast on the air, keep us going. A special thanks to our Great Worm patrons. So that would be Casey, Carissa, Meg, and Sam. Thank you all for, for your support. We really do appreciate it. And of course, our third tier Twitch subscriber, Adam Crossberg. Thank you so much for your support. We really, really do appreciate it. Also, another con that's coming up. WashingCon is happening on September 7th and 8th this year. Check out the tickets. They're going to be at $50 for adults for the entire weekend until the end of June. So if you want to get them, grab them soon. Also, if you use promo code DRAGON, you will get 10% off of the tickets. So again, promo code D-R-A-G-O-N for 10% off. And lastly, don't forget to join us next week for another episode of Dragon's Demise.